Welcome to the PT and OT Connection Podcast by Summit Professional Education, dedicated to helping PTs and OTs improve patient outcomes while earning continuing education credit. For information on earning CE credits for this podcast and satisfactory completion requirements for your state and profession, please go to summit-education.com or click the link of the course description in your podcast platform. Hello, this is Tim Dunn with Summit Professional Education, and today we're going to be talking about treatment interventions for the homebound patients. So for all of us in the home health world, uh, we understand there are conditions, qualifications to treat in the home. And so today we're going to be taking a look at what those are, and hopefully uh, we'll have a better appreciation for what we do as home health clinicians, OTs, and PTs as to how we define our skill within the home. So the course agenda today, we want to take a look at, first of all, being confined to home, what that is and what it isn't. I think it's an important part of our role to be able to identify as home health care clinicians, we as much as, if not more than anyone, should be able to effectively articulate why our patient qualifies for home health care. And there has been a lot of misconception, I think a lot of deviation from the true guidance that has led to some confusion. So I'm hopeful that today we'll be able to sort through some of that. So we'll take a look at what it's not, what what goes into uh, not qualifying, if you will, a patient uh, or, I guess, um, underscoring or removing any criteria if our patient does X, Y, Z, then they no longer are homebound. We'll take a look at what that is. And we'll take a look at what actually does define uh, the patient as needing home health services. And, and what would that be uh, in terms of the indication of being confined to home. And so we'll, we'll dive into what CMS has to say about that. We'll take a look at uh, two criteria. There's criterion one, uh, which will have two elements that we have to take a look at. Either or would be necessary to move on to uh, the next criteria, uh, which is a, uh, a normal inability, uh, and we'll dive into what that actually means uh, within our, our scope of practice. And we'll take a look at then, uh, based on these criteria, what, what physiological ramifications fall into uh, a patient being confined to home. And I think as therapists, really is right in our wheelhouse to determine the things that are functionally limiting our patient and what are the consequences of those impairments? How has it led to a change in quality of life and and what is typically expected for the patient? So much of what we do as home health clinicians drives around that assessment. Our interventions then should be geared towards mitigating some of those problems. Well, all of that is great information to help justify why we are treating the patients. Uh, Bottom line, guys, our patients are not normal. If you're receiving home health services, if you're confined to home based on the criteria you're going to be talking about today, uh, life's not going well for you. You definitely need some support. And I feel our evaluation does a, a lot in our interventions to define those physiological considerations that we're treating and therefore also helping to establish why we're treating in the home with the ultimate goal of putting ourselves out of business. And I say that because we ultimately would not want our patients to be homebound or be less homebound. Uh, We want to give them the capacity, hopefully, to support uh, trips from the home. We want them to participate in community. We want them to be able to get out and be able to do what they want to do. And we'll be taking a look at some some research that has taken a look at that. Like what would be normal? If, if I'm a senior citizen living in community, I'm not receiving home health services, what is typical for me in order to, what, what would I need, uh, gas in the tank metaphorically, 
to ambulate, <clears throat> to get around, to do the things I want to do. And I think that's an important part. We have to always determine or have an understanding of what is normal in order uh, that we can determine uh, then draw conclusions from our patient presentation to see uh, the abnormality becomes quite apparent. Uh, so we'll take a look at understanding those things and then using that information to determine what are we going to do about it? How do we as OTs and PTs dive into this world uh, of treating in the home in order to make our uh, to mitigate that home boundedness, to, to, to eliminate that or, or reduce it and its impact on patients? How do we build endurance and capacity, uh, look at muscle performance, aerobic uh, capacity, uh, dynamic balance? Those type of things are very important. So uh, tailoring our care plan around our findings will be an important part of it. And then we'll take a look at some of the examples. CMS has given us many in, in Chapter 7 of the Guidance Manual, and all of you should understand or have a copy of that, know where to find it, be able to identify these things. There's a lot of great intel there. So I'm not just uh, giving you uh, Tim's uh, opinion, uh, my, my uh, assessment of this. Uh, go to the primary source for yourself, and that will give you a lot of good, good intel. Uh, so uh, one thing I wanted to share here as we as we dive into it, uh, this is a quote from John Steinbeck. You remember John Steinbeck? He's American author, uh, Grapes of Wrath. Uh, he had once said, "I wonder how many people I've looked at all my life and never seen." I think that's pretty profound. I wonder how many people I've looked at all my life and never seen. And I bring that up today as we as clinicians looking at our patients, and we've been doing home care, perhaps many of you, many, many years, and, and we, we are so immersed by it. Do we fail to really see uh, those limitations uh, in their reality and their impact on functionality? I feel that as we treat our patients uh, we are so accustomed to abnormality, we begin to see that as being fairly normal. Or we look at our caseload and say, oh, this patient's doing great. Uh, well, compared to a typical community dweller, uh, they are well off the mark. They might be doing well, uh, great compared to the others on our caseload, uh, but we need to draw a contrast between what is considered normal. And that's going to be an important part of our justification for care in the home. And so uh, looking at patients and making sure uh, that we're not uh, uh, flying by some of these limitations and really take a look at them because that will help first determine what the issues are and then give us a roadmap as to what we're going to treat. So we understand that not only are patients in order to receive home health in, in our scope of care, being confined to home, which our talk will be about today, but they're under the care of a physician and those receiving services under the plan established. And that, that plan is periodically reviewed uh, by the physician. And then, uh, not only that plan, we, uh, the skilled professionals going into the, care, into the home, have to provide those services on an intermittent basis, the medical indispensable nature of you. You are medically necessary to go in and treat this individual who's confined to their home. Now, we have to establish all of those. They have to be confined, and we'll go into that. They have to have a physician that's driving the care and periodically overseeing this. And then, the, I think the most important ingredient, uh, and I'm not being overly biased, is the clinician, you and me, and those therapists going in treating the patient is going to be an important part of that care because we are the skilled professionals. It is not the neighbor coming in. It's not just some Joe Schmo off the street coming in, providing this oversight intervention. This is all about you, and I don't want you to be uh, overly egocentric on that, uh, but it is very important to define that. Well, let's talk about, though, being confined to home. What does that mean? Uh, being confined. I mean, this means being res literally being restricted 
restricted in area or volume, being cramped, right? You're confined. So how do we do that? How do we restrict someone? Uh, we could res restrict um, where you are in terms of your mobility, uh, where your destinations could be, uh, the, the, the quantifier, the time. Time is restricted. You have limited capacity. And so we want to make sure that we are looking at this, this confined definition to keep or restrict. So from a, from a home health perspective, this, this confined issue, it, it's, it's not uh, from a given destination. So I'm, I'm it, to say, oh, my patient went to the grocery store today. So uh, that is a destination. That's not necessarily what this confined to home means, that I'm not allowed to go to certain destinations. And even when you look at the guidance, there are specific examples given, but it, that's what they are, just examples where patients can go. It's not about that destination uh, per se. We're going to talk a little bit about it's more the trip. And we'll, we'll give you some examples of what I mean by that. So it's not from a destination. That's not the, being confined to home. It's not being confined from a financial hardship. It's not saying, oh, Tim, I really like you coming to see me because I don't have a copay. If I have home health therapy, if I do outpatient, then that changes. So obviously, uh, there's a financial uh, issue involved, a motivator. That's a sociological issue, as I call it. If you have no money, you have no friends to take you to outpatient therapy, uh, you're lonely, you prefer uh, the convenience of me coming to see you. So all of these things are not uh, issues that would confine someone to their home. These are sociological issues uh, that would be motivators, absolutely, but not qualifiers for the homebound criteria. So what is it then? What are we looking at? And, and as I mentioned, it is a physiological issue being confined. There are physical demands, uh, psychosocial issues perhaps, or safety concerns could be fall into this. And so we need to be looking at, uh, is it realistic uh, for our patients to access, to access, I should say, medical services uh, on an outpatient basis? Is it realistic for them to do that? And what could get in the way? Uh, and so, as I mentioned, our job is to make our patients less homebound. So, so how do we do that? So, if we're saying that it's not about a destination, so if my patient gets to the supermarket, then they are no longer homebound. And that's not the case. It's not where we're heading. It's not the destination. But as I mentioned, it's the trip. And so, uh, for example, let's say you are traveling uh, you are a frequent uh, flyer, literally, and you're, you're traveling uh, to Charlotte, North Carolina, let's say, or, or you're going to out west. And, and you've done these trips, uh, and you've done these multiple times. And, and often uh, people ask, well, how was your trip? Or my wife will ask, hey, how was the trip? And I could say, well, it was unremarkable. It was great. I was able to get through security. They didn't have to look at the scan and get a private room and all of those type of things. I didn't lose my luggage. I was able to get the rental and make it to my destination. It was unremarkable. It was, it was fairly easy. It, it was effortless or very minimal effort. Uh, then there could be trips that, how was your trip? And it was like, it was terrible, right? I Flight was delayed, I, luggage was lost, um, there was just turbulence on the plane. So the trip, though the destination was identical, the trip in reaching that destination was radically different. So that's what we want to be thinking about with our patients. So not so much where they're going, but how was the trip? Like, did they have adequate endurance? Was their perceived exertion on that um, elevated? Were they desaturating? Were they unstable? Were they, was there some turbulence in their dynamic balance? 
in their ability to get down the stairs in the car to the destination. So it's not, again, getting there, but the journey is going to be an important part. And for you, OTPT, you got to be defining uh, the nature of that trip. Talk about the turbulence. Talk about the detours and the challenges and the need for rest and recuperation. Because that, those are the physiological ramifications that really are defining why this patient's confined. They're not, they're not a home hostage. They're allowed to leave their house. I want them to get out. Uh, do not say, you know, if you leave this house, I'm going to discharge you from PT. That is not the definition of being confined to home. We want to hear about their journeys and their trips and oh, how did it go? Tell me about that. And then that can help us tailor our care around some of those deficits that we've identified. And so we need to be, we need to be mindful of that. It's, a, it's not a sociological issue. It's, it's a physiological issue. So let's take a look at what CMS has to say when it, when it comes to, to these uh, criteria. So criteria one, that's where we have to say the patient must either, and this is important part right out of the guidance, because of illness or injury, uh, need the aid of a supportive device. So again, patients, normal people don't have illnesses or injuries that are observance and apparent. So already we're setting the stage for dealing with abnormal people, strange abnormal individuals. We know that. And so uh, these strange abnormal people need supportive devices. And we're giving uh, examples here, crutches, canes, wheelchairs, walkers, special transportations listed, or they need other humans to help them get out of the home, right? And they need people power to get out uh, they don't have uh, the wherewithal. They're lacking capacity. They're lacking abilities. And so that is a, an opportunity for us right here to establish why we're treating in the home. Criteria one, yes, I have an abnormal patient. They have illnesses. They have injuries. They need humans. I can, I can see that, and, and that's an important part of it. And we're going to be uh, taking a look at that in greater detail as we talk about interventions. But uh, that's not, not necessarily uh, the criteria one uh, um, standard. We have another option. We could say, well, uh, if they don't meet that, if they don't have illnesses, they don't have injuries, they don't need humans, what about, what if they have a condition that leaving the home is medically contraindicated. Now, that's an important part. Maybe the doc says, hey, COVID-19, I don't want you getting out. I don't want you getting COVID. I don't want you doing these things. That's wonderful. We can, we can use that, but everyone make sure that's documented. You have to have a physician order saying, yes, I want Tim going out doing physical therapy in the home because I feel, as the referring physician, it is medically contraindicated for my patient to receive health care through traditional venues. They need Tim coming out to see that patient. So something to uh, consider. Uh, so then that's criteria one. So either or, we need to be looking at that. So we have to meet one of those criteria. Well, then we have to move on to criteria two. Now here, we're going to see both standards within criterion two have to be satisfied. There has to exist what is called a normal inability to leave the home, and leaving the home must require a considerable and taxing effort. Now, looking at notes, I see a lot of clinicians writing, oh, my patient's homebound because it's considerably taxing and effortful to leave the home. Yes, those terms are very uh, great, but they're not meant to be a mantra to say, if, hey, if I say taxing effort enough, and if I just repeat this again and again and again in my notes, then voila, people will believe that my patient is actually homebound if I just um, chant this mantra, uh, taxing effort, um, multiple times. And that's not the case. So we're, these are not meant to be terms just to fling out there in your notes and hopefully something sticks. Uh, but we need to kind of dive into that. What does this 
just normal inability. And, and so going back to those, uh, that criteria one, uh, there is that physical because of illness or injuries. So there's, there's illnesses, there's injuries, yes. And now uh, these illnesses and injuries have resulted in something. Now I'm not sociologically confined to home. I am physiologically, I have a normal inability. I'm not, I'm not uh, staying home because it's more convenient. I'm staying home because it's a, it's a hardship physiologically uh, to exit the home and then recuperate from these durations from the home uh, because they were taxing. They were effortful uh, physiologically. They are, they are uh, having an impact on me, uh, and I need to then look at recuperation and recovery from these departures. And so those are normal inabilities. So normal inabilities really define our physiological sequela that revolve around the principal illness or injury. And that's what we want to be defining. We do a good job at that, OTs, PTs. We, we look at these normal inabilities. Uh, we identify abnormality. And that speaks to uh, our patients meeting criteria too. There's normal inability. And if those normal, normal inabilities are present, which they have to be to qualify, then uh, they rise, they should, uh, and we should articulate uh, the ramifications of those, uh, meaning that it's, it's tough to get out. It, this is not a cakewalk. Or again, remember, it's the trip that we're trying to define, not the destination. So speak to the ramifications of the trip and, and how taxing and laborious and daunting it was for the patient. It wasn't effortless. It wasn't automatic and without effort. Those are the things that we need to be mindful of. So remember, mantras unnecessary there. You want to speak to your patient's unique physiological considerations. And think about that. This is not just like a one spot in time. Okay, at the start of care, I need to determine if my patient is homebound, and then I don't have to worry about this the rest of the episode. And that's not the case. We want to be looking at longitudinally. Where is our patient? Where have they been? over the recent relevant past and then what is typically expected and how have my interventions and treatments influenced this state of being this homeboundedness? How, how have I influenced it? As I mentioned, I hope you are influencing it. I hope you are mitigating it and you're, you're lessening the effortful departures because you have equipped your patient with ample muscle strength and confidence and symptom management, all of these things that are going to make trips more enjoyable, uneventful. I can make my destinations and I really don't even have to, I don't even ponder the trip. I'm just I'm going to my destination. It's automatic. It's, it's less of a focus. And that's what we want to get to, that the trip's unremarkable. These trips from the home are unremarkable. Uh, not the story was the you know, turbulence and the lost luggage metaphor. Uh, we want the trips to be unremarkable. Well, so thinking about this longitudinal looking at our patients, the health status, we... We need to look at these normal inabilities, these physiological ramifications, which could be exacerbated or created by diseases, and we need to look at their prior function. We got to look at the progression of that disease, and then the ramifications. What are the functional limitations re resulting from those impairments and problems? And then that certainly drives our care. Okay, I've identified what is wrong? 
What are the limiting factors? And now I can start crafting interventions around what I've just identified. What am I going to do about these problems? You just don't say, well, you are a basket case, Mr. Jones, and you are just going to remain in this state. No. What can we do to allow Mr. Jones to participate in community? And what, or whatever he wants to do. Does he need to, he would like to go Memorial Day and get to the cemetery. And he wants to be able to visit some grandchildren or get to uh, the grocery store. Whatever it is, we need to be connecting Mr. Jones with community, with life. And I feel home health does a wonderful job at bridging that isolation from a confined patient into bringing them back into to network with community. And that's, that's why I've, I've loved being in home care for so many years. And, and I'm probably, that's why you guys do it as well. So we can be that catalyst. Well, so taking a look then these, these uh, taxing efforts, this, this homebound criteria, what, what makes our patient's departure taxing? And, and that it could be, it could be environmental. Maybe it is the 18 steps out of the apartment. Maybe it's the uneven surfaces. So there are unique characteristics about the environment. And make sure that you're defining that in your notes. And your patient is unique and you want to incorporate not only the physiological issues of your patient's muscle activity and their vital signs and how they're responding physically, but look at those environmental and safety limitations as well. That can make something very taxing uh, and very effortful. We take for granted, I feel, some of the, the streamlining in community, right? You'll go to a store and the doors open automatically for you. Isn't that nice? Uh, certainly, that is a wonderful thing if you have uh, an impairment or a functional limitation. Uh, but we, able-bodied individuals without specific limitations, we certainly avail ourselves of that as well. So, so environments can be made far more efficient and effective and functionally you know, safer for our patients. And we do that too. Occupational physical therapy, we'll look at patients intrinsic deficits, but we also look at extrinsic barriers and we're trying to modify and improve safe access. Those are important parts of our job. So make sure those elements that you're working on uh, are contributing to the turbulent journeys for our patients to get out. I don't want to travel because every time I go, the plane feels like it's going to crash, right? I, I, you probably would start um, avoiding air travel if, if you've had multiple bad experiences uh, where uh, turbulence and whatever it may be, right? Your, your confidence is going down. And that's like our patients. Uh, they are having taxing efforts every time they do something. So Obviously, they're going to like, I'm giving up, or, or they may be considering that. They may not want to do as much. They're losing confidence. And so we have to make sure we can come in there uh, for, so psychologically as well as uh, physiological and environmental issues. Well, because of all of that, we then have, uh, we have uh, these infrequent departures. Yes, it's taxing. It's turbulent. But now, because of that, I'm avoiding it. And not so much because of sociologically I'm fearful now, but maybe it's like, I just, I can't handle it. I can't do this all the time uh, because it takes a toll on me. And so uh, the infrequent departures are something that we need to be mindful of. Now, infrequent, this is right from the guidance. It's not, CMS is not, oh, if they leave four times, then they're done. Or eight times, whatever. There's no number uh, that is given for homebound in these infrequent departures. It just means that travel is not is the exception, and and we need to be speaking to that. Now, keep in mind, normal inabilities have to correspond with these these departures um, being infrequent. 
Now, let's say I am just a recluse. I don't care to go anywhere. And like, well, I just stay home. I My departures uh, from the home are infrequent. I, that patient, my if that's me, I am not qualifying. I'm not confined to home. Sociologically, I've just decided to stay home, uh, and which is fine with me. That's probably my, my desire. Stay home. But when I do depart, my trips are uneventful. I don't have these turbulent efforts to get somewhere. It's just I'm choosing to go infrequently. So those are the, you got to make sure you couple that together, guys. You want to make sure that, yes, they don't get out much. They don't go anywhere. But be thinking about, well, when they do, tell me about the physiological turbulence when they leave. If it's uneventful and they just go infrequently, you're probably, you don't have a, a confined patient by the guidelines. Well, another definition given uh, is short duration. Again, no CMS provides no objective definition that qualifies as a short duration. And, and keep in mind that the home health benefit is intended for individuals. We are the exception. We are for people who cannot easily access other healthcare venues. We got to be thinking about that. So we are dealing with some pretty profoundly limited patients. That's our clientele. It's a very small niche when we look at the, the grand scheme of things. And so we want to be, make sure uh, that we are not, uh, that we're capturing that unique characteristics. If I'm reading through your notes and it's like, oh, every system is within normal limits, I would question if this patient meets the criteria right now because I know we're dealing with a very small minority, people who qualify, who cannot easily access care through other traditional venues. That patient then that I'm treating, we need to be mindful of that. Uh, what is taxing? What is normal? I wanted to share with you. Uh, this was an interesting article. This was done uh, some time ago, and it's a smaller sample. Uh, so you statistical gurus out there, you're like, that's a type 2 statistical error, Tim. I'm not buying it. Well, I appreciate that, and you can certainly uh, take, that's your prerogative. I still find it interesting, so I'm going to share it with you. So it's defining community ambulation from the perspective of the older adult. So what is uh, that community ambulation? What is considered normal? So this was an interesting project they did some time ago, and there were 19 subjects uh, within this subject. They were 65 years or older who were independent. Now, these are, these are not homebound patients, right? These are normal, uh, independent with transportation, ambulation, they were independent with their basic activities of daily living. And in this group, uh, they identified that two, or they created two, two components. One, what they wanted to do, and they wanted to know of these 19, where do you go? What is, what is typical in terms of your ability to access community? And they took a look at uh, where uh, this crowd would travel. And it was interesting. So you might imagine some of the things uh, where they were able to go. So again, the average age here, 76.6. Uh, 84% of this crowd were female. 47% lived alone. 21%, only four, uh, used any type of assistive device. And half of them would access handicap parking when they were when they were um, out in community. So where did they go? So looking at this group, they were able to decide, well, um, grocery store. Not surprising, 84% of the crowd said grocery stores where I'm traveling. And they looked at a period over a six-month time frame. Where do, you, where do you go in community? And so these were, and they, they asked them. They didn't give them a list. They just 
they asked, where do you go? And they let them talk and share until they were done sharing about where they would travel. So grocery store, number one, 84%. Doctor's offices, 79% would head to their doctor's office. 79% also would visit family, uh, friends. 74% would uh, mention church was their uh, destination. Walmart, uh, 68%. Uh, Superstore, Walmart, uh, is marked down. Other stores, 53%. Restaurants were coming in at 42%. Uh, going to the mall, all right? Uh, boy, 37% uh, heading, out, uh, heading out to the mall. And then uh, barbershop, beauty uh, shop, those type of things, one in three, 30 Three uh, percent said that's where they were heading. The bank came on the list at 32, and pharmacy was marked at 26 percent. So they looked at the group first. So they decided, okay, this is where they go. This is where these were uh, groups, um, these destinations. And then the researchers went out to determine, well, how much ground did they have to cover to get there? And so they they took three examples. Uh, in each category, and did the average distance between, like, where would they, what would be the min, the max, the range between uh, these uh, destinations? What would, what, how much gas in the tank, metaphorically, would would you need in order to cover this distance? Uh, and what's really interesting, very, the smallest amounts, uh, just you're driving up uh, right in front of a beauty shop, walking into the shop, doing your thing, coming back. 30 feet, not much, right? Hey, if you're heading to the mall, uh, that was the largest distance. If you're if you're a mall walker, and this, that is fatiguing. I, I've gone with my wife to the mall, and it is like, it is very daunting, very fatiguing. I'm the guy out there in the middle, you know, sitting on the bench. And that's what they mentioned in this, in this research. They were like, there's, at least there's places to rest. And you definitely need that because it is a, it's a taxing effort. For sure, but up to 5,725 feet. You need over a mile of distance in the tank to be able to do that. Uh, so those were some of the, the larger extremes. Uh, but typically, uh, what you would be looking at, and I think this is from a homebound perspective, looking at what we should be working towards, 200 meters, which is about 656 feet. So that was the minimum. Now, think, compare that to what we do Oh, uh, in our documentation and, and reviewers. Oh, they're walking 150 feet. They're walking 200 feet. You got to discharge them. Really? Uh, you've only prepared them for a quarter of what is necessary for community participation. And if that's the goal, how can 150 feet do the trick? when a minimal distance of close to 700 feet is necessary. And then if you're, oh, if Walmart is the goal, uh, and I, I try to avoid it if possible, um, but um, you some, you sometimes it's unavoidable, but if Walmart is the goal, uh, the research came out, it was close to 2,000 feet, 1,968 feet necessary to get there. So if, if I want to prepare my patient to not be homebound. My job is to put myself out of business. I don't want my patient homebound. And so what can I do to build their strength and their ambulation functionality and their access to community and their confidence, all of things necessary to do this? That's That takes some effort, right? We want to always look at homebound status, I feel, is a great starting point. We have to make sure where we're identifying our patients, what are we going to be able to do with them, and how are we going then to prepare them uh, for what is next in line. Uh, so I feel that is the, the very important part of this, is, is identifying uh, this home-boundedness, uh, and then how are we going to uh, get rid of it. Well, let's talk then treatments. How, what are we going to do for this individual? So obviously, if I need, if my patient's like, I want to get to Walmart, well, then yeah, they, they need 2,000 feet of ambulation. My, my uh, 
you know, 50 feet around the living room. I don't know, around the dining room table. I got I to gotta do something to build some capacity with my patient. So when I'm looking at homebound status and, and we look at this criteria one, remember it said because of illness or injury, my patient needed, needs something, right? This illness or injury, this is an impairment. Uh, this is an abnormality. So be speaking, how do we define these, these illnesses or injuries, these abnormalities? So I might have, because of a, a you know, total joint arthroplasty, I have a, a total knee. And so I had this physiological problem. I have osteoarthritis and it was hindering my quality of life. And so I opted for joint replacement and this has this osteoarthritis has created this abnormality i've i've lost range of motion i've lost uh, i've lost quality of life and lost sleep and whatever sensory concerns all of these things these impairments these abnormalities and and they can come about these abnormalities in multiple systems we could see patients who have cardiopulmonary limitations or maybe integumentary concerns, musculoskeletal, as we mentioned, but neuromuscular, emotional, all of these multi-system impact. So we're looking at illnesses or injuries, and they have created abnormalities in most of the time multiple systems. And so our job, using functional measures, looking at whether it's OASIS data collection, it could be vital signs, range of motion, manual muscle testing, all of the tools in our toolbox, we are identifying these abnormalities. I think that's a great part of our, our job is, is first going in, identifying what's wrong, okay? That took you, the skilled clinician, not just, oh, that patient walks funny, my daughter can... Uh, make that statement uh, and she hasn't been to PT school uh, they didn't learn her real good like they learned me I can identify these things and I can make sure that I can articulate that within the notes uh, you as well so talk much about the abnormality so that's going to be an important part to identify uh, what's happening and that often was driven by this acts of pathology uh, this something's happening there's a normal uh, process these these, um, these this interference with a normal process right a normal like we talked about in criteria two there must exist a normal inability and so that what was normal has been hindered there's an interference in that normal inability these these abnormalities these hindrances. Now, patients can do a couple things when you have an abnormality. Uh, you can adapt to it. You just learn to live with it, work around it, right? Or it may be an, an acute active um, issue that we need to address. And, and that may be most likely uh, in your toolbox is a, is a combination of restoration and modification. I feel that I can restore this strength or this range of motion. And realistically, uh, maybe I'm not going to get uh, to a prior level or what would be considered normal. So there may be a, a compromise of modification. So I'm going to restore, I'm going to modify, I'm going to do a combination of each to help my patient reach uh, where they need to go. So treatment interventions really uh, can take two directions. Our OT friends uh, do a great deal of energy conservation. So I have a limited cardiopulmonary system. I am running out of steam. I cannot do what I typically would do. So what would you do, occupational therapist, to provide some strategies to lower perceived exertion so things aren't as effortful and sometimes that could be employing a different device changing the layout work living on the first floor versus the second uh, many things that we 
dive into as as clinicians. I think it's an important part of that. But see how that ties into the homebound criteria? You've already done the work. Your evaluation has established this patient. So speak much of the homebound status within your document. So what is making these trips turbulent for the patient? You say, okay, I've identified. It's a um, cardiopulmonary. It could be musculoskeletal. Okay, I've identified my abnormalities. Now, uh, criteria two, though, uh, what do I do after I identify my abnormalities? Well, I have to identify, so what? I have an abnormality. What does it mean? What is the functional reality as a result of that abnormality? Is there a, is there a implication for having an abnormality? It just can't be of historical interest. You know, you know, I have, you know, a, 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 a slight a bit of Achilles tendonitis, right? I have this abnormality, but is it really hindering me? Has it created a functional limitation for me to deal with? Probably not. And so this abnormality that I've just identified, what's the consequence of that? And that is criteria two, this normal inability. There has to be this this functional limitation. There's a restriction. I can't do this. I can't even, I can't walk, you know, 400 meters, you know, a lap around the track, uh, so to speak, uh, would be very difficult for the vast majority of patients. And in the grand scheme of things, that's not very much distance. So what are these interferences? So I have an abnormality. I've identified those and I've measured them. I have all sorts of tools that I can objectively identify what their gait speed and their dynamic balance and their functional reach and their 30 second arm curl tests. I've identified abnormalities and now I've coupled that with because of these abnormalities, there's interference in life. My patient can't do uh, what is typically expected in an efficient, competent manner. Can your patient do something in a efficient, typically expected, or competent manner? Those are things that you want to identify too, because that tells you how far off the mark they are. So you've found out what's wrong with them. You've coupled that with an interference interference with life, right? I can't do these things I want to do. I can't participate and I get to Walmart. I, I don't have 2,000 feet in my shoes, metaphorically, to do that. So let's think about how are we going to modify that or restore it? Because if left unchecked, these physical, you know, psychological, social issues, you know, this sarcopenia, uh, you know, multifaceted frailty issues could be a problem. Our patients are becoming more and more isolated. They are confined to home. And we need to try to identify what we can do to avoid disability, this inability. So I'm, I'm not just, I don't have an interference now. I have an inability. You see the difference? I have, so we are drawing the line as clinicians coming in okay, I have an interference. I, I have an ability perhaps to modify that or influence it, be disruptive, disturbing as I tell my staff. So be disturbing to your patient to get rid of that. But maybe it's come to the point where they have a true disability. They cannot perform actions at all. These capacities uh, are, these, um, these limitations are significant, right? Our patients uh, capacities have been substantially limited, right? And that's going to impact certainly participation issues within that home environment. So when we look at those treatment interventions, I want you to couple those two things together uh, because it's, it's basic therapy 101 when you're looking at care. And it, it is a perfect, dove, it dovetails perfectly within the homebound criteria. So you have criteria one, because of illnesses or injuries. You've identified what those are. You've identified the impairments and the abnormalities associated with those illnesses and their injuries. And you've done a multi-system review, including the environment team, in order to identify what they are. So that's an important part of the role. Please be mindful uh, to do that. And then the second part of that, uh, 
your treatment interventions is looking at criteria two. What is this normal inability? This is the physiological thing. It's not as a normal inability is not a sociological inability. As we mentioned, it's not, I don't want to leave. I don't have money for co-pays. I don't have a car. I don't have friends. Those are all sociological things. Uh, normal inabilities speak to the consequence of those impairments. What are the functional limitations? What are the restrictions on this patient? And that's where you can articulate because you are the skilled professional what's wrong with them because of their shortness of breath, because of their instability and their heightened fall risk. Speak much of the safety concerns for leaving the home. That's part of it. Why would this be detrimental? Uh, <laughs> why, why is it so turbulent for them to leave the home? And that can come in a variety of ways. Maybe they lack efficiencies, right? They, they, it is daunting. They don't have the strength. They can't open a door. They can't hold on to a handrail. Maybe there is no handrail available. So this, there's no normalcy. It's not unremarkable to leave the home. They have problems and they have competency issues. They can't do this effectively and safely. So those are important pieces to consider. Now, I have here uh, just an example. Um, thinking about a typical, not typical, just home health patient. And, and when we look at their unique characteristics, what does that mean for this one criteria? Remember, this is one of three things that you have to establish. They're confined to home. Why are they confined to home? Well, here, let's think about why Dale is confined. So here, this example, Dale presents with profound hypomobility and dyskinesia, which makes which make trips from his home a taxing effort for him and his caregivers. Now, I'm, I'm not saying uh, there's a mantra, Tim. You said don't do mantras. Uh, you'll notice maybe I'm not going to say taxing again. So maybe it's not a mantra if I just say it once. So home, a taxing effort for him and his caregivers. Due to the physical demands of transporting Dale from his home, trips are infrequent in nature. So there are physical demands transporting him from the home. Why is this daunting? Why is this turbulent? Well, uh, for bathing, dressing, ambulating to the car, completing at least two, most likely four car transfers are highly exhausting for him. Think about that. It's, it's not the destination. It's the trip, right? Getting through security, finding your luggage, <laughs> getting the rental. Uh, there's, it's exhausting. It's not just getting there and getting, it's the, the experience of getting there. That is the hardship. So here we have, he has all these things going on for him. And then we're saying as a result of his poor aerobic capacity, right there, he has a system impairment well, I cannot do this all the time. It's like running a 5K every day. You're not going to do it well. Um, trips from the home must also be of short duration. I cannot, I don't have the endurance, the capacity to do this. And therefore, it makes outpatient therapy unrealistic. And seriously, if you think about it, it's going to exhaust our patients to get prepared to get ready to get there, and then to do whatever the therapist has them do, which will be taxing and effortful, hopefully, if they're a, a valid therapist making them work, the patient work, then they got to get home, right? That's a, that is a daunting effort. You're saying, it would be like telling Dale, Dale, I want you to run a marathon, but I don't want you to train for it. I just want you to show up one day on the starting line and see how you do. Well, that is a recipe for disaster for Dale. He is not going to be able to do that. It's way too much. It's a overdose of activity. Just like uh, any medication, the therapeutic effect comes in a dose, not the actual med. At one dose, it could be therapeutic. At one dose, it could be fatal. So we don't want to overdose with Dale. 
How does CMS know that? Because they want Dale to go to outpatient because they only have to pay 80% of that, not 100%. So Dale, um, we need to make sure that we define he's not physiologically wealthy enough, so to speak, to do this. He hasn't built this capacity. So because Dale would need to exert a great deal of effort and energy to leave the home, leaving little reserve to complete outpatient therapy. Home care allows Dale greater capacity to participate in rehab, which makes the intervention more valuable and efficacious than similar therapies given in an outpatient setting. So that's what we need to do with Dale. We need to prepare him. Now, I'm not saying maybe outpatient is in the cards for Dale, but let's work on getting him some base training, get him some tempo work metaphorically, some intervals. Let's start building him up some long runs uh, before we just plop him on the starting line of a marathon. Let's get him ready for it. And that's what I feel the post-acute-based home health is so wonderful to do. Now, therapists, we got to do that. We just can't go in and, okay, Dale, wiggle your ankles for me. Uh, can you stretch this uh, yellow TheraBand, squeeze this putty for me, and expect him to be able to participate in the community? Uh, those type of interventions are not going to be therapeutic. They are activity. They're you're in you're kind of engaged with some activity with Dale, but are you really influencing his performance? Well, another one, another example that, and this comes right from from the guidance manual, is a patient who has returned from, or chapter seven, uh, return from a hospital stay involving surgery. And this is what, here's an example, who would qualify? So a patient who has just returned from hospital stay, who's had surgery, who may be suffering from resultant weakness and pain because of surgery, right? Or we can identify that. Those are those, that's a normal inability, right? Uh, they had some pathological issue, uh, they were in the hospital, they had surgery, now there are sequela resulting as a result of that procedure. Uh, they have weakness, they have pain, and therefore their actions may be, and this is important, restricted by their physician. Uh, there are often times when the physician will say, I don't want you doing this, I don't want you doing too much, and that is a restriction. Now, Remember, that can be our criteria one, either or. Um, but even if we have that restriction, we have to go back to a normal inability. Now, we, in this example, those normal inabilities have already been identified, right? We have resultant weakness, we have pain, and, and our physician restriction. To certain specified and limited activities, such as getting out of bed only for a specific specified period of time, walking stairs only once a day, etc. Okay, so CMS is saying there are other examples here in terms of what restrictions could be. I'm just giving you a few. So CMS will say, yeah, we will let you. We are not giving every example. We cannot do that, obviously, logically. Um, it's not practical. You, the professional, need to be able to do this. And I hope you can. Of anyone in the world, as I mentioned, uh, you, the home health therapist, should be able to identify home health, uh, home boundedness. And what are you going to do about it? And that is your treatment intervention. So when we're talking about you know, treatments, uh, you know, treatments for our home health patients, treatment interventions for homebound patients, uh, those are all of our patients. And we identify what their problems are, and what are we going to do about them, their impairments and their functional limitations so we can mitigate the risk of uh, disability. Uh, we can see uh, improved quality of life. Uh, we can see improved self-confidence. And you are the center of that story. You are the one who correctly identified, navigated, and successfully brought that patient uh, to a resolution. 
and that could include modifications along the way too. So that's an important part of it. Maybe I want to maintain a, you know, a participation within community access. That's going to be an important part of it. Well, I want to thank you for taking your time today. Thank you for listening. Uh, my contact information is listed in your access here for this podcast. Appreciate your time. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the PT and OT Connection Podcast by Summit Professional Education. To view accreditation information for your state and profession and access completion requirements to receive a certificate for completing this course, please visit summit-education.com or click the link in the course description in your podcast platform.